Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show should prove very interesting. At least one thing will be accomplished. You'll understand what I do in the course of a week. In addition to all the learning and the teaching and the and, and, and all the magazine work, with things that we have to do behind the scenes. So you're going to hear a little bit about three stories. I'm going to start with the, I don't know, maybe it wasn't going to be the first one, but I'll start with this story because it just finished about 10 seconds ago. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, we actually started this, recording this show, and in the middle I got a call and it changed the whole thing around what we're going to say. So I thought that was uh, extraordinary in itself. Okay, here's a company. Uh, I can't even remember how I got to this. I think it was a, I think it was an article, and there's an article in a, in a publication. I'm not going to give you the name. I'm not going to give you the name of the company. I want you to know what happened, what we did, and the res- the final results. It was very uh, very interesting. It seems that there's an individual. I don't think there's any uh, anything more than an individual who likes to cook and uh, prepares for you know, us parties and private things, and uh, he's a chef. And, and because he uh, wants to be satisf- satisfactory to everybody, so he, what he does is he, uh, he, he has a, uh, uh, a service, and the service uh, is uh, his, his work, his individual work, and what he does is he has kosher certification, meaning that he has a mashkiach. I do not know what the mashkiach does, and really I don't want to find out. It's not my issue uh, to, 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 to pry past what I've done already. But it seems when I read this article, which is all about how wonderful his service is uh, that, he, that, that he provides... Uh, the, it mentions that he has a mashkiach, and this is what it said. All of I'm not going to read every detail. All of our food is prepared under the kashrut supervision of our dedicated mashkiach, who is certified under the authority of, and then they named two national hashkachos. In other words, they said that their mashkiach is certified by two Ashkachas. And on his website, he has this, this declaration that the Mashkiach is certified by two Ashkachas. In addition to that, there was an article that was done in a local publication where he, near where he lives, um, writing up about his service, food preparation and serving and his personal chef and all his activities. And it mentions and cooking classes and everything. He has a whole whole nine yards. And uh, it mentions this mashkiach that has uh, certified under the authority of, and it mentions then two national hashkachas which supposedly certify that mashkiach. Now the the implication is clearly that. That that somehow gives status to his work. So uh, when you see that, you think, oh, those two organizations are behind it, and maybe they. You could even assume that he has two ashkachos, which was a little bit extreme. A private guy working in small capacity, having two major ashkachos certifying. It's a little. I mean, it's a little bit of a trip. It, it could be, but it, it would cost them, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year or something. You know, you're not doing that. So, what what it meant really is that their mashkiach works for two different other organizations. For two organizations, that's all he meant. It, there's no statement here about how often the mashkiach comes, what the mashkiach does, because this man has a very varied set of activities. And if this mashkiach is working for two other organizations, he obviously isn't full-time with this gentleman, who I don't know whether, you know, his level of Yiddishkeit, I have no idea. And although I spoke with him once, I don't 
I didn't pry into his perfect private life. And therefore, I decided to contact the two organizations. The two organizations, uh, I contacted them and they got back to me. Uh, one got back to me right away and told me that they spoke to him and the mashkir that they're referring to does work for them uh, on whatever basis, but obviously they don't certify this 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 private individual who does this uh, services. Like, give me an idea what he does. He specializes in kosher catering and food services for events of all sizes with a personal touch. We have worked extensively as private chefs and planned events for intimate dinner parties to large affairs. We work with you to create a custom-designed menu and incorporate all kinds of dietary restrictions and food allergies, especially vegetarian, vegan, or gluten-free. We do all the shopping, prep, cooking, set up, serving, and clean up. All you have to do is invite the guests. They're the personal chefs. And it goes on, and it talks about the, the teaching and his background. And, uh, and it sounds like a very interesting fellow. Someday I hope to be able to meet him and uh, speak to him a little bit more, in, uh, more closely. But this is what it was saying with these two Ashkachas in the background, and they really weren't certifying him. So I contacted the two organizations, and one contacted me back and said, we've spoken to him, we contacted him, and he is removing the language that says that we're involved. That was only one of the organizations. So I wanted to find out what the other one did, so I sent them another email. Meanwhile, in the, in the interim, I figured, let me check and see what's going on over there. I go onto the website, and sure enough, he changed the wording. So instead of saying his dedicated mashkiach, who was certified under the authority of the, these two organizations, he came up with a new language. And here was the second language. All of our food is prepared under the Kashrut supervision of our dedicated mashkiach, and he is certified under and works for several major Kashrut organizations. His contact information is available upon request. So rather than mentioning the two organizations, he still was being mentioned as certified under. And I, and I emailed this gentleman. I said, you know, there is no such thing as certified mashkiach. And mashkiach isn't certified. He works for somebody. You know, a, a person who works at a bank isn't a certified uh, anything. He works for the bank. This man works. He's a mashkiach. They hire him. He's trained, not trained, does this, that, whatever it is. They hire him. They pay him money. He does his job. That's all. There's no certification. Now, it could be that we're going to have in the future something like a certified mashkiach. It, it, is, it, is it is in the developmental stages right now because they're having certain courses. But to say certified by the hashkocha is a big, big, big problem. And I'm going to bring this up, Lee Neder, as soon as I have a moment, to the ACO organization and say that we have to watch out for this. That when they certify mashkichim, that a, a, an individual couldn't go ahead and say, I'm using a certified mashkiach, and that he's certified by a, organization A, B, or C. This is a very interesting phenomenon, because in order to upgrade what a mashkiach is, they started giving them courses and, and uh, a test, and they're trying to create a organized, uh, certified kind of a mashkiach. Now, if that happens... The problem is this is probably more going to happen, that people can say, I use a certified mashkiach. So that sounds like I'm certified. In effect, this gentleman who does this work is not certified at all. There is no mashkiach. There is, I'm sorry, the mashkiach is his man. What the mashkiach does, he decides. There is no private hashkocha. There is no uh, independent hashkocha on this man's job. So I contacted him again. And I said, you know, this is not really going right. I, I, I'm going to have to go on the radio, and I'm going to have to tell my people. I'm going to write it up a little bit, and, and I'll leave your name out. But I just, you know, it isn't right what you're doing. I mean, it's, you're really just, a, you know, a work functioning as a self-certification. You have no hashkocha. And the impression you're giving is that you're, uh, that you're under this hashkocha from this mashkiach, who was under the hashkocha from somebody else, and it seems like you're using that as an umbrella to protect yourself. I said it in a nice way, and 
That was, like I mean, about 15 minutes ago, I sent out that email, and then just when I started this show, I mean, it was being taped, so I got interrupted right in the beginning, and we're a call from this gentleman. He said to me, you know, I, I changed it, like you said. I got rid of it. So now it doesn't it reads anything about any certification. It just says I got dedicated mashkiach. It says I want everybody to be happy, and everyone has to decide if they're happy with my with my level of kashrus. So that's what we're up to, and that's fine. Uh, but I did give it over to Rabbi Metzger from the state, and he will be going hopefully to this gentleman and asking him to write down that he's self-certified, because that's really the truth. And people should know it if they want to inquire that he's only self-certified. So here you have a, a tremendous example of a person who is probably a nice individual, probably, uh, I don't know his level of the Yiddishkeit, but well, let's us make an assumption that he's observant of Kashrus and whatever else, and that uh, you could rely on him maybe uh, as a person and he has this mashkiach, which he uses for whatever he uses him for. And uh, th- this is what he's doing. And he isn't doing, he's not really trying to mislead anybody, but misimpressions are very easy to get. So I thought it was very interesting to bring this to your attention, because here we have to read between the lines. Very, very interesting. A person claims to be certified mashkiach, made a new term up, and it's under, you know, from these two different ashkach organizations. Well, they never like to see their name up without their permission. You know, they charge a lot of money for their name, and they just made sure he took it down right away, which was simple and easy. And my concern was that now that the ashkachas had removed themselves from it, they weren't being mentioned anymore, so they felt, let him say whatever he wants. And I said, hey, he's still saying it's certified. So we got Baruch Hashem, he removed that. I was very appreciative, and uh, we had a nice conversation. I wish him well, and I hope, uh, I told him, they're going to make the same money either way, so you don't worry about it so much. So I thought that was an interesting uh, case. The next case was very, very interesting, and it's still going on, and I want to share it with you. I I don't want to mention the name, because it's going to reflect on the Hashkochus, and I don't really care to put anybody down, uh, you see that we try as much as possible to avoid any uh, direct uh, information about a company unless we have to. So here is a situation. This is a product that you and I have had in our houses. I'm 90% sure that whoever's listening to me now had this in his house. I'm, I'm 90% sure. Yeah, you don't eat like me, I don't eat like you, but still in all, this is such a common product. I can't believe it wasn't in your house, at least sometimes. So here's the, it's a, it's a container, and the container, you know, has a lid. You remove the lid from the container. And today, in the, the world we live in, they write everywhere. So they write on the side of the, the packaging, and the bottom, and the, to the right, to the left. So they also write sometimes on the inside of the cover of the product. Obviously, it's printed in a very fancy way, da-da-da-da. So you have printed material on the inside cover of your plastic container that you keep in the refrigerator, and people use it all, these, all the time. Very common product from a, 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 a company that is under two hashkachas, a national hashkacha and a Hasidic hashkacha. Two, you know, what we call Hamish. So there's two different hashkachas, and the product has been around for years and years and years and years. And as I said, many, many people have this in the house. So here I go, I'm looking at it. Somebody pointed it out to me. I personally didn't catch it right away. But it didn't take long for me to, to hop what was going on over here. And I'm looking at a recipe. And the recipe is for ham. But it doesn't say ham. It says another word which means ham. 
But if you don't know very much, because there are many people who don't even know ham is drape. They may think of, they understand pig. They never never heard of ham. Okay. But I mean, if you're in America long enough, you've probably heard of ham. Now, there's another word that's used very often. It's a sort of specialized kind of ham. And it's, that's what the word means. There's no other interpretation to it. And it mentions that together with cheese. Okay. Don't get nervous. It's not Basavachalov because ham is a trefa animal, non-kosher type of animal. So non-kosher food does not make Basavachalov. So if you have a ham with cheese, it's not Basavachalov. It's treif, you can't eat it, but it's not Basavachalov. Basavachalov means kosher meat, kosher type meat. It means from the animal that was kosher, even if it died. But it means a kosher type animal. And, and kosher milk, from a, the milk that came from a kosher animal. So you have to have kosher milk and kosher meat. It doesn't have to be with ashkachas and all that, but it has to be the type of food that is, could be kosher and the type of milk that could be kosher. Those are the two ways. That, that's how you get basa b'cholav. But you don't get basa b'cholav if you have pig's milk or you have pig. So either way, it, it breaks the, cholav, the, the basa b'cholav session. Okay, but still... Here's something that's 150% treif, and it's on the inside of the container that I have in my house. And I have two ashkachas on the outside. Two. It, it, it was a little bit shocking to me because, you know, I, I, I mean, this, this is something. I started thinking, like, you know, there always have these things happen. You know, they happen on a package. You, you pick up a, a Coca-Cola and it has a, an image of uh, somebody from the, the, the folklore of the, the, of the Christian, Christianity at the time of their holiday in December. Around then, they have this gentleman on their Coke bottles. And uh, you can do it the best you can. You can't find another one in the store. So some people don't buy it. Some people cover it over. Some people didn't realize who he is. They really thought he was uh, something more innocent. Whatever it is, that's one stand, That's one challenge. And in Israel, a decent ashkocha would never give ashkocha to something like this. The, 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 I, when I was in Eretz Israel, I mean, 20-something years ago, uh, I remember that they had taken the ashkocha from uh, the, the Badats, the Eidach Haredes, took their Hashkoch off Pepsi. Why did they take their Hashkoch off Pepsi? It's the biggest seller in Israel. And, uh, it, and I don't know if they even had Coca-Cola at that time. But if they did, it wasn't as big. That Pepsi was big. And it was from Tempo, which is the biggest company in Israel. And, he, and they, uh, Badats had it all, 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 all the wrapped up. And they took the Hashkoch off. Why they take Tashkachov? Because the chutzpah tempo decided to put an ad on the outside of the bottle of Pepsi that's for a Michael John, uh, Jackson concert. For Michael Jackson concert, the Eidah the, HaRechareides uh, the removed their Tashkachov and it was off for a very long period of time. My luck, I was there together with the Mashkiach from the Eid HaRedis, the day that he went to recertify t- the, the Pepsi in Eretz Israel on the Tempo. We went in there. This is story is a classic story. We went in there. Like you, can't, you can't tell this to anybody. Okay? This is, this, absolutely you can't tell this story to anybody. We go into the we go into Tempo. We'll be there for a while. And after a while, the, the worker there, I mean, he's not a plain worker, he's a macher, I don't know if he's the head of the company, or some kind of a division head, whatever he is, he says to the, he says to the, 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 the badats, the Eid HaRedis, this mashkiach, they said to him, do you want to drink um, something, uh, you know, you want mishkakal, which means you want a, a drink. Means not uh, no no schnapps. So you, you want to drink uh, something in soda, whatever it is. He says, yeah. So the the hush, the uh, gentleman from Tempo asked him what he'd like to have. 
So he says he'll take Pepsi. So the the the, 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 uh, the you know I I was I was in awe of this thing. They wasn't yet under his ashkocha yet, which means whatever Pepsi was being produced was not under the badatz's ashkocha, and yet the Vashkiach is going to drink it because the answer is it had to be kosher. It's first of all coming from the United States. It's using the ingredient which is the special syrup that they imported from America with special hashkocha here in America to preserve that it's the standards of the Eidach So they really were using the same exact product constantly. But the Eidach took the hashkocha off because of this political situation. And uh, we're putting it back on. So it was only a technical thing. That's, and that's how we, we were drinking uh, Pepsi from the, you know, uh, unauthorized <laughs> no 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 Ashkachan, supposedly. Of course, it was the, it was the same thing as before. Anyway, uh, so back to this. That was the way the Badatz of the Ada Charedis worked in Eretz Israel. You remove the Ashkacha from Michael Jackson concert. They'd remove their Ashkacha if there were pictures of dinosaurs, some mention of dinosaurs on the outside packaging. That is the power that the Eidach Haredes has in Eretz Israel. Okay, the companies have chutzpah, don't, don't care if they take the Hashkoch off for a little while. It pays for them maybe occasionally to spread their wings, but whatever it is, they know that the bottom line is the money is coming from kosher, especially in Eretz Israel, and they have to have the badats of the Eidach Haredes because they have to have universal acceptance in Israel, and the, and the badats has to show its strength and take off their ashkocha. and But in America, if this, uh, this picture of this uh, uh, gentleman, if I want to call it that, on the outside of the Coca-Cola bottle at, in December, so, uh, they, you know, nobody's going to stop him. Okay, we understand also that you, you sometimes have a, a situation where on the outside of a box there are recipes or, or the, the material that's attached to, uh, this is there's something that has to do with recipes. And sometimes the recipes are not kosher. It could happen, but it's not in your face. But if it's on the inside cover of a plastic container that you take the cover off every time you open it and close it, and every time you open it and close it, you see as one recipe, and this recipe is for him and cheese, and one of their products. For ham and cheese, and one of their products. This has no top. This is absolutely unacceptable to me. So, what did I do? I sent out an email. That's what we do. Uh, sent out an email to the head of the national organization, and to the head of the uh, pro, the, the Hamish organization, the rab, a whole group of people, a few few people in the Hamish organization, I sent out, and it wasn't an hour. And I told them, I'll tell you what it says in the letter, I mean, to some degree. But I don't want to mention the name of the company and the product because I, I don't want to cast dispersions on it, and I don't want to, anything to reflect negatively on these hashkachas. But I told them about this problem, and I told them that you have a company that's known as a Jewish company, and it, uh, it, it's got two very good, responsible hashkachas on it, and uh, it, it, you know, it's a terrible thing that, uh, that you have to open up your thing, and you see right there this tray for recipe, and it's, uh, it's staring you in the face every time you open or close the product. It's, it's not something that's appropriate. And uh, what bothered me also was that some of this product is used by many people who are bali tshuva, and they may have tasted that other thing, and they may feel very bad seeing it on the food, inside the food that they eat. And it's just absolutely an unacceptable situation. So I'll tell you what happened. It's, very, it's always interesting to hear the results of these emails that I get send out. Sometimes they don't even respond. But I got a response in maybe few minutes. <laughs> I don't think it was more. Uh, one of the people I sent it to at the uh, Hamish Ashkocha asked me for a picture. I sent over a picture. And then uh, the, 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 uh, the head of the organization contacted me, uh, I think it was this morning, 
and said to me uh, that this is under investigation right away. This is absolutely un unacceptable. And he sent that email to me and to everybody who works for him. So they have to, they got to get it out of the system. They have to get any of these tray for recipes out of the system over there. So I thought that was another interesting, uh, interesting thing. Because there it's a question of sensitivity. The first story it was a question of misrepresentation and misunderstanding. Although, Baruch Hashem, hopefully these two are going to be resolved. The third one that we want to discuss now, and this is basically what I have for today, is a question of Pesach. I'm getting calls already. Uh, some people are not going away. I mean, <laughs> some people never went away for Pesach, uh, but some people who go every year are not going this year. And they were asking about alternatives for buying the different foods. You know, you don't understand it. I don't understand it. There are people, of course, they don't want to pay. You know, they have a, a lot of money and they want to enjoy themselves, and that's the reason they go away. But a lot of people go away because they don't have easy ways to prepare the food in their house. That mean, it means that uh, one of the people is not well, or the white woman is not was well, not easy for her, um, they're not used to it, it's hard, they're scared about Pesach, whatever the deal is. And they have a nice bit of money also. So what they're doing is they're buying all the Pesach meals. Don't even ask me what kind of dollar is attached to it from a private caterer. Like we just mentioned before, that other gentleman. But they're buy buying it from a private caterer. Uh, basically, it's a real caterer. And, he and he's making you know, hundreds of these up, not just two or three or seven. Uh, but he, he, this is a big business. And those, real ca those caterers are going to charge uh, with a number of zeros after it. It's not going to be cheap because the main thing in these places is the food. Okay, you can buy your own matzahs. That doesn't you can go to the store and buy a matzah. Or you can buy from an organization or from a, from the shul or whatever. But when it comes to the rest of the food, uh, maybe you can fill in with some soda and other things from the store also. But the meals per se, they, and how to heat it up, that I don't know. That I don't know what they do for that. Uh, maybe they give you warmers and things, and maybe uh, maybe they maybe they come in the cash your house. I don't know. But this is what people are doing. They're buying all the meals for the family. I mean, at least a lot of the meals, if not all the meals, from these private caterers. So that's one thing that's happening this year. But I was shocked when I found out. First of all, I'll tell you how I got here. I read an ad in the paper. And I don't look at these things. But I looked, just, just saw it, and it hit me in the eye. I'll tell you what I saw. I'm reading from the ad. I will not tell you where it is. But I can say it's not far from here, and I can say that it's in a, in, in, in a, a well-known hotel chain kind of hotel. Uh, I'll skip the name. And it says over here, COVID safe hotel and event. That's what got my mind working. COVID safe hotel and event. You know, and I know, we're, going, we're struggling with COVID-19, and if you happen to be lucky and you're in a community where there's not so much action, you know, well, you had the COVID or you've, you, don't think, you think you're exempt for some reason, and you're not worried about new strains, and this, or you had your shots, and you feel safe. Whatever it is, you want to go away? Fine. But there's certain caution. So even people who had COVID are a little bit afraid. So now we have COVID safe hotel and event. I was very interested in finding out what that meant. So I'll tell you what I did. First of all, I went on the website of this, this particular uh, uh, program. And uh, what I found on the website, not one word about COVID. You could look up and down, here and there, not a word. COVID safe hotel, no, 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 no. The ad in the paper says COVID safe hotel and event, whatever that means. But they don't say anything on the website because the people who come to the website want to have fun. They don't want to think about COVID. If they, didn't, if they came to the website, they're already not worried so much about COVID. But in the, in the newspaper, to get you to come 
to go to their website and to get you interested in going for Pesach, so that they put in COVID safe hotel and event. So I wanted to find a little bit more about this. I didn't inquire from the company, and I didn't inquire from the hotel. But I did my little bit of research, and I want to share it with you, because it's Nogea to you, or anybody you know that's going away. It gives you a perspective, and even if things get a little better, which I don't know if they will or they won't, uh, but we at least gives you a perspective on what is going on about the hotel and, um, you know, is, the, is there any sanity in going away for, the, for uh, this year? Is, there any, is that normal? Is, it, is the person uh, way off base? Or, or is it something that uh, possibly could be safe enough? And that's the question that I was interested in. So here's what I'm going to share with you some information that I found out. Truthfully, this is not from today. It's from... Uh, a combination of things in October and in the summer of this year. So it's all about COVID, but I don't know if it reflects what, what somebody would write today. So I would do my little research. I didn't necessarily get, you know, from today, today, today. It was a very interesting piece I want to share with you. Yes, there's no question that anybody who's going to travel and there are people who are traveling. Now, you can't, you can't get in airplanes very easily, and you can't uh, go certain places, and certain states you're not going to want to go to. And, uh, but there are places, especially if they're not far from home, that could offer a very nice hotel stay, a nice program. And these, these programs are unbelievable. And the, it, it could also be, or might be, possibly, Somewhat safe. But whatever COVID safe hotel and event is, I still can't tell you for sure. <laughs> You'd have to investigate further. But here's, here's what we, we did discover. That travelers, and right now, they're trying to stay near the home, and they're trying to get safe and to reduce any risk of getting sick. So this is an interview with a few people few experts, an infectious disease doctor, and uh, somebody from the cleaning crews, and somebody from the hotels, and uh, it gives you a little bit of an idea. So why does somebody go to the hotel? Because they want to be in luxury and get service. Uh, there are a lot of people who are speaking today, Rabbanim who are speaking today, and saying this is exactly what we're not supposed to have, and that's what we're supposed to learn from COVID. I don't know if it's a direct hit, but definitely the, all the Rabbanim are talking about, a lot of Rabbanim are talking about it, about how, how we today are, are looking for pleasures, 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 and higher degree of, uh, of, of, of Olam Hazadik of pleasures, and there's a feeling that perhaps we're going too far. So it could be that a hotel is not reflective of, uh, for Pesach, is not reflective of what Hashem wants and that we brought the COVID for. I, I'm not the most man to teach the Musser, and, and as I said, I do know that many people who have to go away because they have to go away, and, it's, and it costs them a lot of money. It's not something that's easy for them, but they feel absolutely forced to do it because of their personal circumstances. And we shouldn't in any way think negatively of them. And even if a person goes because he wants to, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, uh, question what his motives are, whether they're appropriate, not appropriate. And a lot of things also you should understand. Sometimes people uh, get themselves into a certain way. This is what we do every year. And that's how we, we do Pesach this way. And, I, and that person does Pesach that way. So I think you have to be a little understanding. However, it's an interesting question. So now, hotels, by their very definition, are gathering places. And they're crowded. And there's staff there and other guests. They're places where there are many objects found that are sometimes from remote controls, to the furnishings in the, in, the, in the hotel rooms that are shared and they're reused. 
So that leads a person to, to wonder who was using it before and was that person well? Did they have COVID? Could they give it to me through the equipment that, that's left in the hotel room? So if, uh, sometimes there's very little time between uh, the time somebody leaves the room and another person comes in. It's not going to lay dormant for a day or two. They couldn't make any money if that was what happened. So we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, f f the opinions of certain people, this infectious disease doctor, a cleaning company owner, and the representative of Four Seasons and the Marriott Bonvoy hotel brands. So uh, let's go to it. There are two main uh, groups that are giving us guidance, the CDC and the WHO and the Center for Disease and Poisoning and Control. So this is, a, it, it, it's an evolving situation. It's not something that's stagnant. It's constantly changing. Now, I don't even know today what CDC is saying. Is it safe to stay in a hotel right now? What are the risks? Uh, potentially, you should know, this is the Dr. Russo saying this, he's the chief of the Division of Infectious Disease at the University of Buffalo. And he's referring to the fact that a, a lot of people are asymptomatic. So potentially you're opening yourself up to a risk in running into other people who you, that you have no idea what their infectious status is. We know that there's a lot of people who get the coronavirus who have no symptoms at all, who could potentially transmit it. So that's the, the downside. And also that people could potentially transmit the virus perhaps as many as six days before they develop any symptoms, even if they do develop symptoms. So you have a lot of possibility from all the people you come in, counter, in contact with. In the hotels, they have a, a number of places where there's a gathering and you're you're coming in contact with other people. So it starts with the check-in desk, where sometimes the people gather there because there's a few people waiting, and there are some people coming uh, to speak to the people who are in charge of the desk from other parts of the hotel, so it gets to be a little bit crowded. So if you're waiting in line to check in, uh, and, and you're, you have to interact with the people who are taking your bags, so this uh, Dr. Uh, Russo, recommends wearing a mask. He recommends wearing a mask when you do the check-in process and when you go up in the elevator to your room and even in the stairwell. So basically, he's got you tied up with a mask all the time. So this is, Mamish, not the way people are, are planning or would like to spend their holiday. Now, in the shul where they daven all week long, if there's nobody wearing a mask, which, of course, I don't recommend that, but if, no one, if no one's wearing a mask and they're sitting right on top of each other. So at least these, all these people are people you know. And, and, and many of those people have had the disease or know about it, uh, what their status is and are careful also. But when you're going to a hotel, you have no idea who the other person is. So right away, I, even as nice as it is that they're scheduling for, for us this special uh, uh, COVID-safe hotel and uh, an event, but still in all, uh, we don't know who we're coming in contact with there. And there are staff over there. We don't know who those people are and where they're coming from, even the countries they come from, where they've been, what they've done. What We have no idea. Okay. So basically, Dr. Russo likes, he considers himself a big fan of mask use because the magical six-foot feet zone is based on probability. So in other words, the six feet that we've been hearing about is only a, the issue of probability. It's not a guarantee. And people give higher numbers, and you know, but you can't get uh, a mile away from everybody. So he likes the idea of using a mask. Now, Dr. Russo was also asked about uh, the, what goes on in the hotel itself, aside from this thing about exposure to other people. He said that the air settles down pretty quickly, and he didn't feel that air quality is going to be a concern in the hotel. So that's a good point. 
They said also that, uh, you know, uh, he said, take note of the areas of potential concern and do a disinfecting pass. In other words, take a look and see if they've been disinfected. If not, you have to do it yourself, I suppose. There are high-touch areas, like phones. I mean, other people touch the phones all the time. The, the TV remotes, I hope you don't use them. Door handles, bathroom faucets, toilet, toilet handles, and flat surfaces. All these things a million people touched. The flat beside the, 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 there's a flat bedside table right next to the, your, your bed there's a little table there that's flat that's an area where many things get trapped and, and if somebody was sick in the room or coughing that's where all that stuff is going to settle so it, it's an important thing to make sure that it was properly cleaned now we're going to discuss it how you know that something was cleaned and what you could do. we're going to discuss it now in the next couple of minutes John Maroney was the owner and president of National Restoration, a disaster recover company, and he has an area, as a section of his business that is uh, that the uh, that they and he that's tied into this, and they seek signs that the hotel. You should say you should look for signs that the hotel's cleaning operation was up to par. He see, he said this uh, John Maroney that he works with a lot of hotels. And he gives out a certificate that the place has been disinfected. And you should make sure that there's uh, some kind of a sign around and, and that the, the company, the, the hotel, is really doing a proper disinfection. He said you could tell if a hotel is doing proper cleaning and disinfecting by checking the bathrooms and see if the room is free of dust. See, if there's any dust in the bathroom, that's a very bad sign. You also could check the heating vents to make sure they're clean and free of dust and dirt. Well, I haven't stayed in any fancy hotels uh, for many years, but any place I've ever stayed, I could tell you that the heating vents and the air conditioning are filled with dust. So, uh, of course, it wasn't high-end, and I suppose the cleaning crew wasn't trained by John, but still in all, you, you, you have to really do a, a checkup on them. And that doesn't matter that when the, when the, when the, when the, the, the uh, travel uh, agent, I mean, the fellow who's booking the, uh, the program for Pesach tells you that it's COVID-safe hotel, I mean, you know, you're going to have to, on the spot, make your own quick inspection, even if they told you everything under the sun. Um, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure they will have a... Uh, somebody in charge of it on their side, but again, it's your life, and uh, I certainly recommend that you follow up a little bit on what John Maroney is suggesting here. He says, the first thing you should see is a, a, a hand sanitizer dispenser when you come into the building. There has to be the CDC, it, he, either they mandate it or they were on the verge of mandating it. Every hotel, when you walk in, the first thing you should see is the hand sanitizer. If you don't see that right away, that's a very bad sign. But this, these are all just signs and indications about whether they properly cleaned. Now, the, there's the common areas in the hotel. Dr. Russo said that that's the highest risk is between the people themselves. So, for example, what, what happens with a pool? And this is what I also was thinking. How could a person go away for Pesach without using a pool? Now, when you use a pool, presumably they, don't, they, have, they have hours for men and women, but they don't have hours for each guest. So you're going to be in the pool together with another person. But more than one person, probably a whole bunch of people. So what's the, you know, what's the score there? So uh, he said if there, there, there are other people, of course, around, it's going to create an issue, of course. Uh, and... What happens sometimes when the people swim, they aspirate, and they get a little water, and they start to cough, which is absolutely no good, because that's bringing out exactly what we're trying to avoid. It could create problems for corona. So I, the, the, he says, theoretically, since the pools are chlorinated, um, he, th and he, he feels that that may deactivate the virus. Of course, that's a very whimsical uh, approach. I, I really hope he's right. Anyway, when it comes to dining in the hotel, he recommends 
Dr. Rousseau. Room service. Now, I can't imagine anybody at the pace of Seder, room service. That's why you're going to the hotel. You don't want to sit in your house. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to work to say room service. But that's what he would recommend, is staying in the room, staying in your own room. He said he's not really worried about menus or tablecloths. He thinks you're going to wa- they're going to wash those off and get launder them and get disinfected. But when the food shows up, you have to take your mask off, which means he would be in the hotel with the mask on the whole time until he served food. And then he would take it off, eat the food, put the mask back on, and then go back to his room. So that's what he would do if he were in the hotel. And that's not what's going to happen at Pesach Hotel, even though it's supposedly uh, COVID-safe and, and the, the event is COVID-safe. Maybe, or, and I sort of th- suspect that all the entertainers for, for the Pesach program will not all be wearing masks. I do not believe they'll all be wearing masks. I do not believe the people who are playing and singing will be ma- wearing masks. I think it would turn the people off, but so that won't happen. There may be some people in the room with masks, but I can't imagine that that's going to be across the board. So even if the hotel is technically called COVID safe, um, according to Dr. Russo, you're not really safe. Uh, we, there is a, uh, a global cleanliness council, that, and that's supposed to be you know, upgrading the cleanliness of these hotels. The Marriott, their whole chain, the Marriott Bonvai hotels, they are trying to reduce the uh, contact that people have with other people and uh, find ways to sign in easier and, and to, to, to have more social distancing. And they've, and they've made sure that the, the, the furniture in the, in the front area there is more space between it and there's hand sanitizing stations throughout their facilities. So they're making their efforts. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that is going to be done, up, upgraded. But in the end, you're going on trust from the organizer of the event. You're going on trust from the people at the hotel. And that's about as far as it goes. They asked this rack Dr. Russo, would he go to a hotel? And basically he said yes. But we know he's going to be in his room. He's going to be with a mask on, except every time he walks out of his room. So it doesn't make much difference that he's in the hotel because he's really not part of any program. And I can't imagine that the people who are going with a Pesach and paying all that money are going to do this. Um, it, this is basically what I wanted to say. Uh, obviously, we have to try our best if we are going into such a situation. And uh, even though you need to go away, but extra effort to protect yourself. I just want to add on 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 this on this regard. Um, you know, when 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 people uh, when when people go when people do go away, um, they they always have to think. And this is what I've said in the past: you're leaving everybody else home. And there are if somebody can spend. Ten, twenty thousand dollars or more for Pesach for his family, or maybe fifty thousand dollars, whatever the number is. Start thinking about giving some serious tzedakah back in the places where you left from. That's a very big part of it. Maybe that tzuchus would protect you. I also want to tell you, I went online, try to figure it out what's going on this year, and I figured there are five programs. 10 programs, it's still packed. I don't know how everybody's going to fill up. I don't know if they're all going to open. I don't know if they, uh, you know, the farming ones are going to not be able to get anybody to come because they can't get in the planes. I don't know what's happening. And it could be a total disaster. We'll find out after Pesach. But I see initially that even though it's extremely hard, there are going to be Pesach programs. So those people who are fortunate enough to stay home and not need to go to a PESA program, consider yourself lucky. You don't have to make your house COVID safe. You already made it COVID safe. And uh, hopefully you will enjoy a beautiful, uh, a beautiful uh, PESA in, in your home. 
And if somebody has to go away, so we, we wish them the very best. Wherever you are, here or there. And uh, we're going to get Mr. Shem in a little more about uh, Purim next week. But I, I just thought it was interesting to, to look into what it means, COVID safe hotel, an event. The claim, uh, I, I really have no idea what it is in Lamaisa in that particular hotel. And that's why I certainly wouldn't want to mention it in any way. Uh, make you feel that it was not appropriate or is appropriate. I, I just didn't want to go into that at all. I didn't want to find out. So I just that was the that was a program today. Uh, the the three things the uh, the, the one about the uh, uh, about the the unfortunate uh, ham uh, recipe on the food that's in in my house. Uh, although we told them that until it gets when, until it gets out, I don't want to buy it again. And we talked about the gentleman who put up that uh, unfortunate sign, and uh, unfortunate words, wording on his internet site, and an article, an article that was written about him, claiming that his mashkiach was certified under the authority of two different national mashkiachs, which of course is fallacious. It's not true at all. There is no such thing as a certified mashkiach, and he definitely doesn't carry any weight from any of these particular places he works for. He's just a a hired employee doesn't represent them, and it's a totally misunderstanding of what of what it means to be a mashkiach. And uh, we had this third situation, which we were discussing: what does it mean, COVID safe? And uh, we wish all of our, our listeners that you should, in our preparations for Pesach, we should be successful. We should get rid of the chametz in our houses, get chametz in our hearts. We should uh, strive to, to improve in our benedam l'chaveiro, benedam l'makom. We should utilize the time in the next few weeks to improve, 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 and then we'll all be able to enjoy a chakash v'sameach. So I'm going to stop here now, a few minutes short, and imiyat Sashem, uh, next week we'll take up a little bit about Purim. Uh, this is a very special Purim, you know. So get yourself psyched up to it. The Purim Suda in the morning. Don't do any late Purim Sudas, and all the other details and some suggestions we'll take care of next week. And until that time, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashas Magazine for Kashas on the Air. If you need to reach us during the week, you can call us at 718-336-8544-732-534-9363 or Kashas, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. If you want to reach our website, it's kashrusmagazine.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S magazine.com. You can find out about our new publication just came out. Uh, we'll have it up probably in another day or so, uh, some of the details anyway. And uh, you can sign up for the magazine, for the kosher supervision guide, for the Pesach issue, for the travel guide, which we're working on. Yes, we're trying to do a travel guide. I don't know how successful it will be, but we're definitely trying to do a travel guide this year. We can. So you can be hopefully in contact with us. If not, in next week, we will join you again. Until then, have a wonderful week.